Good morning, church family. I pray that you're doing well this morning, and uh, I trust that you have been experiencing the love and grace of God over the past week. He has kept us another week, and we praise God for that. Before we turn to God's word, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the privilege of gathering in this way, to hear your word, to think about its truth, to apply it to our lives, and to even encourage each other despite the distance. And we pray, O oh Lord, most of all, that you would speak to us and give us ears to hear, that you would help us, O oh Lord, help us. We are your people in need of you. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we continued our study of human embodiment by turning to consider the, the social implications of the body. We looked again at the early chapters of Genesis and we saw how being created in God's image, being created for work to cultivate the world, being created in gender, and God's pronouncement that it's not good for man to be alone, all of those are indications to us that we are meant for community. And the way in which we experience community is through our embodiment. Our physical forms facilitate um, the ability to, to be together, to be uh, in social or society. And to say that we are social creatures and the body is essential for our social nature, well, that brings us to a touchy topic. It brings us to the topic of touch. Lori Ferguson Wilbert, in her excellent book, Handle with Care, writes this. Our society simply doesn't know what to do with the human body or touch. Our culture is confused, and confusion only results in more confusion. Culture is telling itself lies about touch. It tells them in films, in music, on beaches, in boardrooms, in marriages, and in schools. And the church is telling itself lies about touch, too. Well, as a result of all of this confusion, we don't know what to do with our bodies. We don't know when to touch. Is it safe to touch? Is touch necessary? In this circumstance, is it wise? Do all people want to be touched? Do they want to be touched by all people or just some people? There are a million questions that, that rise to the surface in almost uh, a million situations that, that address this issue of touch. And in addition, there are questions about the meanings of touch. Touch communicates. But the meaning a touch communicates depends a lot, depends a lot on various factors. For example, a punch on the arm could communicate friendship among teammates on an athletic team. Or it could communicate violence in a fight between enemies. The same fist and swing of the arm communicates two radically different things. Or a man's arm draped across the shoulder of a woman. Well, that might communicate pride and affection if it's a father at his daughter's graduation. Or it can communicate violence uh, and discomfort and violation if it's a drunk boss at the office Christmas party. The same gesture, same form of touch, totally different meanings. 
And those are the easy examples. We live in a world of constant touch and constant meaning, but do we know? We don't always know what the touch means, either to the one doing the touching or to the one being touched. And at the same time, that all of this confusion abounds, we are starved for touch. Sometimes starving ourselves of touch, while at the same time longing to be touched. We find it difficult to interpret touch, even though we give it and receive it as a normal part of life. We abuse touch, even though we know such abuse is wrong and destructive. I mean, touch has gone very wrong on us. Not only do we use our bodies to touch, but we carry our experience of touch, both good and bad, in our bodies. So any series on embodiment, on the embodied life, has to address the subject of touch. And, and to do this, we've we got to be aware of something. Christians have somehow come to think that success in ministry and success in the Christian life can be achieved by celebrating the soul while ignoring the body. But that will never lead to a ministry in a Christian life that makes a tangible difference in the world precisely because we are embodied creatures. As Pastor Zach S. Wine puts it, to follow Jesus into significance is to settle into the physical. So, if we're going to think about the social aspect of being embodied persons, we, we must learn to think about touch rightly. We must handle the complexity of the subject, or at least begin to. So for our purposes, I want us to think about three types of touch. Uh, there is sacred touch, there is sinful touch, and there is um, saving touch. In addition, I want us to consider three contexts in which touch happens. There's a platonic context among friends and neighbors. There is a um, sexual context, and there is a um, professional context for touch. And finally, I want us to consider the one of two positions that we're in as it relates to touch. We're either the person's giving touch or we're the person's receiving touch. We can be a giver of touch or a receiver of touch, whether it's sacred, sinful, or saving. That can occur in a multitude of relational contexts from platonic to sexual to professional. Figuring out which touch is good and which touch is bad depends on this mix of factors. So let me give you our outline for our time. For one, sacred touch builds. Sacred touch builds. Number two, sinful touch destroys. Sinful touch destroys. Number three, saving touch redeems. Saving touch redeems. Let's take that first point, sacred touch builds. I begin to infer that from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where the Bible says, Then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. Genesis 2, verse 7 is telling us how we came to have bodies and how we came to live. With the rest of creation, God spoke 
and everything became. But now with humanity, he changes the way he creates us. Notice what the text says, he formed us from dust. The word form paints the picture of a potter working with clay. With his own hands, God shaped us. And through his holy touch, God literally built us. He sculpted us. We have bodies as a result of divine touch, sacred touch. This is God's sacred platonic touch. It's the touch of a friend. It's intimate, but it's not sexual. And the fact that people confuse those two things, intimate with sexual, is an indication of how confused we are with touch. We can barely imagine an intimate, friendly touch without the mind going to the sexual. We are confused about touch. But God here from the beginning is showing us that there is such a thing as a sacred platonic touch. And the result of it is it creates, it builds. And being made in God's image, we are capable of giving that kind of touch. Not only are we capable of giving that kind of touch, but we also need to receive sacred touch. We need to make contact with our fellow human beings because we are embodied people. Touch, then, goes a long way in defining what it even means to be human. This is so true that not being touched makes us to feel subhuman, even distorts our personality. Many of you will no doubt know the, the old experiments that were done with uh, infants in a, in, a, in a birthing room in a hospital, some of whom were given touch and some of whom were deprived of touch. And those babies who did not receive touch in their infancies went on to develop all kinds of abnormalities. Well, it's because the, the moment we are born, we come into the world experiencing contact. It's the first of our senses that are that's really keen and alert. Even in the womb, a baby can, can feel a touch. We need touch. It's part of what makes us human. Not only do we need platonic touch, but there's another kind of touch here that's in Genesis 2. At the end of Genesis 2, God creates woman and presents her to Adam. You'll recall this was God's solution to his assessment in Genesis 2.18 that it's not good for man to be alone. That not good gets fixed by the creation of woman who's to be a, a partner to man. So human society is God's idea. Having company, as the older folks used to put it was God's cure for man's solitary uh, incompetence at completing the creation mandate. But that company, as illustrated by Adam and Eve's marriage, was to be physically touching company. That's why Adam breaks out in the poem in verse 23, Genesis 2, 23. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Then God adds this instruction in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, that's the language of embodiment. They shall become one flesh. That's the language of knowing, loving, joyful, satisfying, sacred sexual touch. We are made for sacred touch, not just in marriage, but as human beings. In fact, every person who ever existed came into the world through touch. 
sacred touch is life-giving touch. It's the kind of touch that gives and receives dignity, beauty, strength, assistance, comfort, healing, love, cherishing, inclusion, creativity, generosity, and a million other good things. This is kind of touch is what Lori uh, Ferguson Wilbur calls ministering touch. It is the kind of touch that serves and receives service from others for the sake of the other. Sacred touch is for the other person's good, never their harm. Sacred touch builds. Doesn't matter whether the context of sacred touch is platonic between friends, sexual between spouses, or professional, say between doctor and patient. In each of these settings, the person giving sacred touch seeks to build up, to minister, to serve, and help the person they touch. And the person who receives sacred touch gives permission to be touched, determines how they will be touched, and they feel as a consequence safe, loved, warm, they feel seen, strengthened, comforted, and helped. This is the touch that we cannot live without, not healthily. So let me make a couple of applications. First application I want to make is to community and singleness. I want to ask you a question. Are you receiving healthy, sacred touch in any place in your life? I want to especially ask this of of members and visitors who are single and those who may live in the area or in any area without natural family around, are are you receiving healthy physical touch, sacred touch, from anyone in your life? As a pastor, I think a lot about this at at ARC. Uh, I I think and pray a lot about how various members of the church family uh, come into the church family and experience or don't experience the, the warmth and embrace of the church. For all of our five years, uh, people have had two basic experiences at our church, and I don't think this is unique. I think this is true of every church. They either feel uh, connected, included, and loved, or they feel in some sense alone, disconnected, sometimes unloved. And it's interesting, uh, people sometimes move between the categories. They, they first felt connected and loved and included, but at some point along the way, they found themselves kind of disconnected and and uninvolved and, and feeling unloved, or, or the opposite experience. They first felt loved and connected, and uh, or, or not loved, not connected, sort of distant, but found a way to sort of grow into the community and to grow into relationships that were nourishing. And as I think about these experiences and, and the reality of our embodiment, I've come to wonder if the solution to community or going deeper with others, as is sometimes expressed, it is, is not found in emphasizing community and emphasizing going deeper. I wonder if the answer is not longer, deeper conversations or more frequent social outings. I, I wonder if the, if the solution isn't simpler and more profound. What if the need for community and inclusion 
is satisfied by sacred touch. What if what we really need is to be touched in the right way? What if community is more deeply formed and better held together by the holy handling of our bodies? Perhaps we do not touch each other enough in sacred and life-giving ways. Perhaps that's why some people can feel isolated and disconnected in a worship auditorium with 200 other people. Or, or why some people could be in a fellowship in someone's home, packed together with people in every room, and still feel unseen and unnoticed and unconnected. And, and that is not at all an unusual experience for some single people, to be in a room full of people and yet feel alone. Beloved, we need hugs to give them and to receive them. Not the awkward side hug with the quick tap, but a meaningful hug and embrace. A, a, a full-on hug. Long enough to feel like somebody noticed you. A, a platonic hug. The hug of a friend who's seeking to give life and to connect. Now, hug doesn't solve all of our problems, but it's amazing how much a hug can help us endure our problems, isn't it? We need our hands held. We need sacred touches on the shoulder, pats on the back. We need high fives and fist bumps. Sometimes we need a gentle hand to, to cup our face and assure us. This is part of how we build community and how we strengthen the feel of family. By sacred touch. And think about the opposite. Think about what withholding touch says, what it communicates. It communicates things like this You are beneath me. You don't matter to me. You have no place here. You are unclean. Stay away from us. You are unimportant. See, not touching dehumanizes and marginalizes. People want to be seen, to be acknowledged, to be welcomed and included. And how do we let people know and, and help them to feel that they are welcomed and acknowledged and seen and included? Uh, Lori Ferguson Wilbert writes this again. We enact our seeing by touching. We enact our seeing, our recognizing of others by touching them. In the handshake, in the hug, in the fist bump. And to bring it in, it's by touch. Now, we don't want our single brothers and sisters to find more welcome, more care, and more trust in the, non, in the touches of their non-Christian co-workers and neighbors than they find in the touches of their Christian siblings at church. We won't be so withdrawn from touch as a Christian family that the only place we find ourselves being touched is in the company of people who do not have the mind of Christ. And I fear that in our church communities we've made ourselves so awkward out of fear of immorality or fear of things going too far or being confused. We've become so fear-based that we aren't love-based in our touch. We're starving ourselves. I'll give you a second application. 
course, all of this is, we're talking about this during the COVID-19 pandemic. Right now, many people are in hospital rooms, separated from families and friends. The only touch they receive is the professional touch of doctors and nurses, taking blood, adjusting sheets, clamping on respirators, and so on. Thus far, there have been over 50,000 deaths in the United States from the coronavirus. A great many who have lost loved ones who would ordinarily have been in hospital beds holding hands and praying and hugging and weeping, wiping brows, placing ice chips on chapped lips, have had to wait and mourn without the comfort of sacred touch. It's the application I want to make. When the, when the pandemic is over, by God's grace, and we begin to return to normal lives, please, let's not rush to get busy. Let's have a long, healthy season of lamenting and mourning. Right, right now, the country is being pent up, backed up with, with mourning and grief and no way to sort of let it out in the typical rituals of wakes and funerals and dinners and repasses and touch. Some have been starved of touch while losing loved ones. Let's now feed them enough touch to overcome that starvation that they've had to endure. So when we come out of this, let us be embodied. And let's touch one another. Which brings us to point number two. Sacred touch is not the only kind of touch in the world. Sin has entered the world and distorted touch just as it distorts everything else. So to quote Pastor Zach Eswine again, he puts his finger on the problem for us when he writes, Physical touch is meant as a holy act. Few of us know in an experiential way what it means to touch or be touched in a sacred way. Profane touch has mentored and broken most of us. Sinful touch destroys. To be mentored and broken by profane or sinful touch is to be steadily taught how to sin with our bodies. The story of embodiment goes wrong pretty much early in the Bible, right after the creation of Adam and Eve, right after the second chapter where we see them being formed from the dust and Eve being taken from Adam's rib. Chapter 3 begins the story of the distortion of touch and sin's effect on touch. So in Genesis chapter 3, verses 3 to 6, where Eve is tempted by the serpent and she sees the fruit and she desires it, what does she do next? She touches it, takes it, and eats. So even the ordinary ways of eating have been distorted. Touch has been ruined. Or just a little bit later, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, where God now is confronting Adam and Eve uh, because of their sin. In verse 16, he, he says to the woman that she'll have pain and childbearing, and uh, her husband's, um, she'll have a desire for her husband that he'll rule over her. So now, the, the intimate touch between husband and wife, knowing each other, naked and not ashamed, has become a power struggle, where touch is now a matter sometimes of manipulation and abuse. And childbearing 
there's going to be pain in childbearing. So there's going to be, even in that touch of life-giving, the effects of sin, the scar of sin. Or we think uh, about work and death. Genesis 3, verses 17 to 19. God turns now and judges Adam. The pleasure that he should have gotten from work and filling the earth with God's glory, well, now that pleasure is turned to drudgery, the, the tactile sensation of using your hands and body in work. Well, it becomes a, an agony. And God pronounces death. That sin's ultimate consequence is that we will stop living and we will return to dust. It's literally a kind of disintegration that removes us from the possibility of life-giving touch. And if that weren't bad enough, things get worse in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, in verse 8, we have the record of the world's first murder. Technically, it's fratricide. One brother, Cain, kills another brother, Abel. And by the end of Genesis 4, Things, again, continue to get worse. Lamech is said to have two wives, so now sacred sexual touch has been distorted by sinful polygamous touch. And Lamech boasts about killing for revenge, that if someone wounds him, he's going to kill them. So the touch that was meant to be a holy help has now become a terrible threat. This is the world we now live in, and it's why teaching on this subject is so important. Touch has become sinful. What is sinful touch then? Here's, here's the basic nature of, of sinful touch. Sinful touch takes and it harms. The giver of sinful touch looks to take control over others, to hold them and dominate them, Sinful touch aims to take pleasure for itself, making the other an object. It looks to manipulate. It does not heal sinful touch, but it exploits and it abuses. Sinful touch is always sinful. And what is it to receive sinful touch? Well, the person on the receiving end of sinful touch feels touched in sinful ways. Violated. Abused, confused, harmed, degraded. And as a consequence, they, they want to escape. They want to get out of that situation. And there may be feelings of shame and illegitimate guilt. Illegitimate because you didn't sin, you were sinned against. There's no reason for you to feel guilty, but we do because of the nature of sinful touch. And those feelings and experiences can last years beyond the event itself. The poet John Keats writes, touch has a memory. Touch has a memory. We'll quote again from Laurie Ferguson Wilbur, their excellent book, Handle with Care. If you're interested to think more about touch and the redemption of touch, I highly commend this book to you. She writes, we remember stolen touch inappropriate touch, abusive touch, or unwanted touch. We also remember times when we've stolen touch from others or given it sinfully, wanting something in return. All touch we've experienced before marriage informs how we touch within marriage. 
it happens to be the case that this quote comes from her chapter on marriage, but, but this quote is true not just of marriage relationships. It's true in all of life. The trauma of sinful touch, and it is a trauma, is literally carried in the body. Here's how Bessel van der Kolk describes it in the book, The Body Keeps the Score. It's a lengthy quote, but bear with me. While we all want to move beyond trauma, the part of our brain that is devoted to ensuring our survival deep below our rational brain is not very good at denial. Long after a traumatic experience is over, it may be reactivated at the slightest hint of danger and mobilize disturbed brain circuits and secrete massive amounts of stress hormones. This precipitates unpleasant emotions, intense physical sensations, and impulsive and aggressive actions. These post-traumatic reactions feel incomprehensible and overwhelming. Feeling out of control, survivors of trauma often begin to fear that they are damaged to the core and beyond redemption. What's he saying? What's the author saying here? Well, this means there are events, including those events that involve sinful touch, that are not only sins done with a body and to a body, but are sins whose effects are carried in the body. Trauma is another way of saying our bodies have memories. It's a way of saying that the memories of our body sometimes hinder and distort our reactions to life. Traumatic responses are what happen when the embodied memory associates both related, and this is important, even unrelated events to the past trauma. So we, our bodies, react as if the traumatic event is happening again. Here's a couple of illustrations. A, a war veteran comes home, traumatized by the war, traumatized by bombs and gunfire. He's walking down the street, hears a car in the distance backfire, and instantly he is transported, as it were, back to the battlefield. His body responds with the kind of adrenaline and, uh, and, and the kind of stress reactions that, that are uh, consistent with battlefield activity. The body has remembered the trauma and associated something unrelated to it and is now causing the person to react that way. Or take someone who grew up in an abusive household. They may react bodily to a loving touch from a spouse as if they were the five-year-old running from a drunken father. The body kind of isn't making a distinction between the two events, as different as they are. And the body is remembering the trauma and producing a, a, a trauma-based reaction. Our bodies are well, they are alive and active, and we have to come face-to-face -face with them. So in any theology of the body, we've we got to come to grips with sinful touch and how it keeps touching us long after it's over. So let me give you three quick applications. I'm no expert in this field, um, so I just want to give you three basic applications here. Number one, there is no such thing 
as good or right or biblical sinful touch. There's no such thing as good or right or biblical or permissible sinful touch. It is sin. It is wrong. God hates it. Number two, if you have been sinfully touched, then get professional trauma counseling if you need it. Counseling is a grace of God. Helping us to process these things and to cope with these things is a mercy from God. A mercy that in his common grace he has put in counseling, uh, among other things. And so if that's a need, don't feel embarrassed or ashamed or or as if you lack faith. Because you need that kind of counseling to work through those kinds of traumas. Number three. Say no to unwanted touch. Get out of the situation and report it. I said before that touch has meaning, and the toucher doesn't know what meaning is being received by the one touch, and the one touch often doesn't know what meaning is being uh, expressed by the one doing the touching. Part of what that means then is we have to communicate beyond the nonverbal of touch and communicate verbally to say no, to say stop to say quit, to say, I don't like that. I don't want to be touched that way. You know, step away from me and to get help. And I know that um, in in particularly uh, abusive situations, that that can be very hard to do. Uh, This is why if we know someone who's being abused, we need to step up and step in and speak up for them, to, to ally with them, partner with them in that way. But if we do find our voice, we need to use it. To say no, to say stop. The one being touched gets to decide whether they are going to be touched and in what way. Take agency and control and find voice. Trusting in God. So let me bring us to our third point. Saving touch redeems. Sacred touch builds. Sinful touch destroys. Saving touch redeems. I thank God that the world is not left with only sinful touch. I praise God that there is saving touch that that redeems, that buys back, that restores. Early in the service, we read about Jesus healing and raising the dead. I, I chose that as a reading because it shows Jesus doing what he so often did with the broken the marginalized, the oppressed, the diseased, the crippled, the poor, the rejected. Touch them. It's amazing how often Jesus did his work of redeeming by touching. And it's amazing how his redemption of us required that he suffer the sinful touches of others. The sinful touches of religious leaders and Roman soldiers who sent Jesus to the cross. Slaps, bruises face. A whip rips his back. Lumber weighs him down. Thorns pierce his head. Spit sticks to his skin. Vinegar twists his tongue. Nails invade his wrists. A spear jabs his side. 
The Lord Jesus felt the sinful touch of fists and knuckles, whips and nails. In his body, he endured the wrath of God. Not just the wrath of man, but the wrath of God. So it's happening on the cross. But through Jesus, sinful touch became saving touch. The, the Father poured out his love to us through his Son, crucified on the cross. And the Son was raised from the grave three days later, victorious over all of those sinful touches, even uh, the, 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 the curse of death itself. In his resurrection, Thomas touched his wounds. Now Christ touches us by his Spirit. When he taps on our hearts, we turn and trust. And his touch becomes everyday touch for those who believe because he lives in our bodies by his spirit. We can spend so much of our lives feeling untouchable, experiencing the loss and the comfort of touch. But in comes Jesus, touching all those who, whose skin had grown hungry for stimulation. In comes Jesus in a body, making contact with, with other bodies. In comes Jesus to redeem our bodies and our souls with the touch of his love, with the sacrifice of himself. And now we who believe in Jesus can go into the world too, practicing saving touch, redeeming touch. We have become his, his body, his hands, his feet, his eyes, his nose, his torso, and we are embodied to let the world know what it feels like to be touched by God in the proclamation of the gospel that he has come, paid the penalty for our sins, been raised from the grave for our salvation, that anyone who believes in him would be saved. But to also demonstrate the tangibleness of his love in works of mercy and compassion and kindness to others. We touch others in a redeeming way to buy them back from their brokenness because we have been touched by him in a redeeming way. Well, did the, Gath the Gaithers write these lyrics? Shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I'm no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know. He touched me and made me whole. The second verse goes, since I met this blessed Savior, since he cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to praise him. I'll shout it with eternity while eternity rolls. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know he touched me and made me whole. It's what saving touch does. It redeems and makes us whole. Let's be the kind of people who touch the world in the saving way. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for sending your Son into the world in our flesh to redeem us, O Lord, from the brokenness that had mentored us, from the sinful touch that had broken us. Redeem us even from ourselves and the sinful ways we touch ourselves to make us new. Thank you that he accomplished our salvation on the cross and in the resurrection and all the righteousness that we owe you, he has provided in his obedience. We pray, O Lord, having been touched by him, you would help us in a redeemed way to touch others with the gospel and with the mercy of your own heart. Help us, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.